0: good morning. Turning your copy of the scriptures or scroll in your Bible app to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis chapter 2. As you do that, let me just encourage you Uh, to make use of the sermon outline. And the reason I'm encouraging you to do that today in particular is because I'm going to be all over the map and not necessarily always saying, now let's turn here, now let's turn there, because this is a topical style sermon and we're going to be jumping around to a lot of different scriptures. And so if you'd like to follow along, the sermon outline would probably be particularly helpful to you uh, on this particular Sunday, which you can find at graceky.org or in our church app. Uh, Genesis chapter 2. Beginning in verse 15. This is what the word of God says. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. But therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Lord, as we look to your word this day, and we look at the second chapter of Genesis as we open up our worship service, we are frighteningly aware that these are the words that represent the account of the only period in time that we could rightfully call the good old days. That we're reading words that represent the time period in life when you existed with your creation, you existed with Adam and Eve, and there was no sin separating you from them. But Lord, we know that all too soon, after the words that we just read, in the very next chapter, sin entered our world and death through sin. We know that in the very next chapter after that, violence and murder entered our world. And so we come before you today grateful for the grace that you have bestowed upon us, your people, grateful for your mercy And boldly approaching your throne, asking you for help in our time of trouble. Lord, we have personal troubles. We have uh, troubles within our relationships. We have troubles within our nation. We have troubles within our world. And we're tired. And we're grieved. And we ask you, Lord, would you remind us each and every day that you are Christ, that you are King of Kings, that you are Lord of Lords, that you are the Prince of Peace, the Everlasting Father, and that you reign. We pray, Lord, that would you bless our time today, but also in the days to come, would you bless us as a people of God and bless us as a nation and do it for your glory. Lead on, O King Eternal, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you're new to our church family, but if you are, I'm really glad that you're with us today, whether you're joining us at one of our two campuses holding in-person services today. We are a church, a multi-site church, that has three campuses. We have one in Florence, one in Independence, and the best in Fort Thomas. But today, there are only in-person services being held at two of those campuses. But there's a glorious reason for that. There are no in-person services taking place at the Fort Thomas campus today because we are transitioning uh, from our old space into our new facility that we built throughout 2020, and we're ready to inhabit it one week from today at our grand opening. And to say that we are excited is an understatement. And so we're very grateful... When we think back on 2020, you think nothing good came out of 2020. There's one thing good, at least, that came out of 2020. And that is by God's grace, we were able to complete the construction of our new facility. The first time since Newport and Fort Thomas that we're going to be in a place custom built with us in mind. Movie theater was not built with Grace Fellowship in mind. The event center was not built with Grace Fellowship in mind. But by God's grace, he has blessed us with a phenomenal Phenomenal place to call home. So, feel free to consider joining us for that very special event uh, next Sunday as we have our grand opening. Uh, To say we're excited would be a gross understatement. We are unbelievably excited. And thank you so much uh, for your ongoing prayerful support, your financial support, your encouragement, and your love that you've shown for our church at large. But particularly for me as the former Newport campus pastor, now Fort Thomas campus pastor, over the last Seven years. All that to say, Grace Fellowship Church is a large and growing church, and one of the things we do well to think about is what losses, yes, I do mean losses, should we keep an eye out for when it comes to the change that is taking place among us as our church continues to grow? Living in a sin cursed world, it's rare that a change, even a positive one, comes with no loss whatsoever. Someone's excited to be married, and that's really, really great, but oh, There's a kind of a fun romantic time of dating that that's going to be gone. So there's a little bit of a loss there. Infinitely more excited, hopefully, but there's a loss there. Someone's having a baby. That's very, very exciting. Oh, but it won't be just the two of us. Having another child. Oh, it's excited, but it won't be just little junior or the little girl, etc., etc., etc. There's a loss that comes with most change that we experience in life. Some changes that take place in a growing church are inevitable, but there are also some potential changes that are avoidable. One change worth avoiding is that our church becomes a place where intimacy is hard to find because of the number of people who call our church home. Intimacy. Uh, maybe the fact that I use that word on a Sunday makes you uncomfortable. But if so, that's likely because of the unbelievable sexualization of our culture. Intimacy is not primarily a sexual word. In fact, if you look up the word in a dictionary, you'll find the primary, dictionary, the primary definitions of the word as an adjective, or not sexual in nature at all, marked by a warm friendship developing through long association, suggesting informal warmth or privacy of a very personal or private nature, marked by very close association, contact, or familiarity. Intimacy is something that we should desire as a church with God and with one another. And so, as we continue to grow, we need to consider ways in which we'd grow small ways in which we'd grow close, ways in which we'd grow intimate. And we've done that through a variety of means over the years. Uh, Years ago, when we kept growing big at the Florence campus, we decided, okay, we don't feel like the Lord has called us to be six flags over Jesus. We don't want to just keep building in one location, keep going and going and going. We'd rather uh, not just say come and see, but also say go and tell. And so multi-site was birthed among us here at Grace Fellowship Church. But that's not the only way, because years before that, when the church was very young and small and started, we wanted to be a church of community groups, that that would be at the center of who we are, the heartbeat of who we are as a church. Now, statistically speaking, the majority of the people at Grace Fellowship Church are in a community group, but I'll readily admit to you this. That's no reason to join one. That's no reason to join one. You know that, right? I mean, I remember mom rhetorically asking me if I'd follow my friends if they jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge, to which I'd answer no. Because when I'm asking her to do something and telling her that Tommy is doing it, and Anthony's doing it, and Jason's doing it, and John's doing it, and she'd remind me that the case that I'm presenting to her her is impressing her like not at all. Because she is telling me to do something or not to do something based on what she says is best for me. I don't think that we should just follow the crowd. Everyone's doing it. The majority of the people are doing it. I should probably do it. Friends, I'm a pastor. This morning I'm preaching. I'm not a motivational speaker. This isn't an infomercial. I'm not the Sham Wow guy, but he was from Brooklyn. It's a church worship service. And pragmatism is good, but it shouldn't be our primary motivation in our walks with the Lord. You know what it should be? It's what Paul mentions in the Corinthian to the Corinthian church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, he doesn't use his own name, his own bravado, his own anything. Instead, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We don't follow the crowd, we follow the Lord. And nothing should so get the attention of the child of God like the word of God. Nothing. So in a time and day and age when the terms essential and non-essential are being thrown around ad nauseum, I want you to be convinced from the word of God first that community is essential to your life and mine as Christians. And so I hope to make that case for you today from God's word, not based on pragmatism, not even based on our history of the church. But Based on what we see in God's word. And so we looked at Genesis 2. Let's get right to it. Point number one, you need to remember that God never intended your life with him to be lived apart from others. Ever. Uh, If you look at Genesis 2 and verse 18, it says, It is not good that the man should be alone. Now, if you think about it, you realize that God created the universe and everything in it in six days. And here he is alone with Adam. It would be very right for Adam to look back and say, "Uh, but I have you. Like, there's no sin in the world. We're not apart. Like, what do you mean it's not good that I should be alone? I have you, God. I have you. There's a couple of things worth pointing out here. You need to remember um, that this was pre-fall Adam. There's no sin. There's no separation from God. Adam is enjoying a closeness and intimacy with God that God himself ordained and nothing had stopped it. nothing got in the way of it. Nothing stained it. Nothing marred it in any way. This is the good old days before the fall. They didn't last very long, but this is them. This is Genesis two, not three and following. So the question is this. Why isn't it good that Adam would be alone if he was alone with God? Why would solitude with the Lord not be enough? And so I think it's safe to say that God never intended for his personal presence with mankind to be sufficient. An end in and of itself, all that man would need. That's not because God was insufficient, not at all. That's because God had chosen to glorify himself in people's lives through other people. You say, well, it's also a means of procreation because I don't know if you know, but... You know what I'm saying? Couldn't God have arranged for people to reproduce asexually? Sure he could have. That in and of an individual, that individual would have the ability to to reproduce? Of course he could. But he didn't. Why? Because God from the very beginning said, it's not good that man should be alone. But this wasn't just a marriage thing or a family thing or a procreation thing because God chose the Israelites to be his people, to live, to work, and worship together. Leviticus 26, among other places, verses 11 and following, the Lord says this, I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you, and I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. Plural. When God created a people for himself, he did so in a way that they would live and work and worship together. And so in the fullness of time, God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, through the womb of a virgin, which is freshly on our mind, which we celebrated in Christmas just a few weeks ago. Jesus Christ is born, but he has a heavenly father and not an earthly father. And so the sin has not been passed down to him as it has been to you and to me. He lives a perfect life. He teaches perfect truth. He heals the sick. He raises the dead. He welcomes people into the kingdom of God that the religious elites in his day would never have had regard for. The writer of Hebrews tells us he was tempted in all ways as we are, but never, ever sinned. He lived a perfect life. He dies on the cross and experiences separation from his heavenly father so much so that he, for the first time throughout scripture, is recorded as calling him not his father, but God, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the answer is because right now at that very moment, God did not look down upon his son and see his son, but God looked down upon his son and saw Peter Rufa and sinners like you and like me and was pouring out his wrath upon his perfect, precious, spotless son so that people like you and me might have our sins atoned for. And he dies on the cross, absorbing the wrath of God for all of God's people. And he dies. Not sleeps, dies. He's buried in a tomb, sealed with a stone. But three glorious days later, he arose and had victory over the grave. He rises again. He lives on earth for another 40 days. He ascends into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God and will one day come again to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. What a mighty God we serve. This is the gospel. This is the good news. The good news that God sent his son into the world for sinners like you and like me and that whoever believes on Jesus Christ, whoever puts their faith and trust in what he did for us would have their sins atoned for. And not have to face the wrath to come. Surely now. With all that has been accomplished. Through Jesus Christ. Surely now. We can be just individual sheep. Who follow our shepherd. Right? Individual citizens of heaven. Who follow our king Jesus. Surely now we have all that we need. In Him, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. God institutes a local church as a community of believers who walk with Christ together as a family. If someone asks me, isn't Christ enough? It seems like the obvious answer is yes, right? Like this is a trick question. But I, I have to say, enough for what? Christ's death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave is certainly enough for salvation, no question. God was fully satisfied in the payment Christ paid on the cross for sinners like you and like me. If you believe in him and trust that your sin was truly paid in full on that cross, you will be saved. But here's the thing. God doesn't just want to save you. He wants to grow you and change you to be more like Him. Is Christ's death on the cross enough for your salvation? Just Him and you? Him for you? Absolutely. Is Christ's death on the cross enough for you to change and grow to be more like Him? No. It's a start. It gets you on the team. It calls you out of darkness into His marvelous light. It positionally sanctifies you, placing you in a place where you would no longer be viewed as a reprobate, but be viewed as a child of God. Putting your name on the roster and throwing a uniform your way doesn't know that you know how to play. And so there's growth that needs to take place. There's change that needs to take place. And you need to understand, that's our second point, that the primary means by which believers grow is God's word and God's people. God's word and God's people. Wayne Grudem says, Sanctification is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. It helps us to be in reality in, uh, practically speaking, what we are positionally. I've used the example a thousand times before that when I signed up my children for Little League, I paid my dues, I signed a waiver, I got a uniform, and they were on the team but did not know how to play baseball. It's the same thing when it comes to our salvation. We become practically what we are positionally. And so very few people are saved and go straight into heaven. Thief on the cross, right? Does it happen? Yes, of course it does. Do people get saved right before they die? Absolutely unquestionably. But that is not common. What is common is what God has in store for you and for me is to be saved out of darkness to be given the light of Christ, to be given the life of Christ, but then for us to become more and more like him and less and less like ourselves throughout our entire lives. Uh, Turn to Romans chapter 8. The book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and take a look at verse 28. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. What a glorious verse. Someone say amen. amen. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Purpose. We can rest knowing that God is in control at all times. For his people, he will cause things to work together for good. According to his ultimate purpose, he cannot be thwarted. We take great joy in that, great hope in that, great peace in that. That will help you sleep better than any sleep aid. But there's a verse right after that in verse 29. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be What? Conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And so not only will God cause all things to work together for our good and his glory, but he also has a great desire for each of us to be conformed to the image of his Son. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed, to be changed. And that's a process that happens over time. Verse 30, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. And that's really cool because also glorified is happening in the future, but written as if it's done in the past. Why? Because it's as good as done. And that's the good news that God not only calls us out of sin, he doesn't just save us from hell and he's like, all right, go on, I'll see you in heaven. Peace out. But he changes us. He grows us. We get to be more like Jesus even before we get to see him face to face. And spiritual growth is not presented in the scriptures as an option. Hey, this would be really cool. What with you being a Christian at all? Why not look like your leader? That's not what the scriptures say. It's actually a command, 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not, you really should, you'd probably like it, it would be nice, it would feel pretty. No, it's grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's an imperative. Bible reading and preaching are essential to the Christian life. But you won't become more like Jesus by only reading and listening. It's the application of the information that is evidence of transformation. James 1, verse 22 and following says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself, goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. And so, Hopefully, you're somewhat encouraged that I took some time in front of a mirror this morning. I did. I really did. But what's the point of standing in front of the mirror if I look and I go, huh? All right, well, it is what it is. (laughs) Nothing. What's the point of looking into the mirror of God's word and saying, whoa, I got changes to make. Yeah. Just set it aside and go on with our life. We're not supposed to just be people who look into the mirror, but hopefully it would make some adjustment after we assess the damage that has happened while we slept. We're not only supposed to be people who look to God's word because it's our religious practice to do so, right? Yeah, we we get up in the morning and we read God's word, but it should bring about change in our life. Encourage us, comfort us, convict us, admonish us. But the one who looks into the perfect law, James says, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his what? In his doing. But here's the thing. If you're a Christian Lone Ranger, you're always in danger because you were not designed to live the Christian life yourself. Paul Tripp has said it again and again. Your walk with God is a community project. And that's not saying it takes a village, but it is saying it takes a church. Spiritual growth doesn't just happen. You know, all of a sudden I just feel mature. What happened? I don't know. I was super mature last week, but I'm really mature right now. Not sure. Just that doesn't happen. Soul care doesn't just happen. Both are fostered in times of fellowship with other believers. You think, Grace Fellowship Church is a church that really majors on the authority, inerrancy, but especially the sufficiency of God's holy word. It sounds like you're saying it's maybe insufficient. Well, listen, lots can be learned about God and his word throughout redemptive history as you read your Bible. And you should read your Bible. How much of it? All of it. All the time, every day, as much as you can to learn about the Lord and his character. Consistently listening to the Lord speak to us through His word. Lots can be gained from listening to sermons, from corporate gatherings such as this one. There's something about coming together with the people of God in a group that encourages the soul as we sing together, pray together, sit together, hear the word of God preached together and reminded that we're not alone in our walk with the Lord, in our struggles, in our desire to please the Lord with our lives. But the bottom line is this, as great as these things are, they're not the end-all be-all. There are still some things that you won't get on a Sunday morning from a sermon or from a podcast or from reading a book on your own or from even reading the Bible on your own because there are some things that you desperately need to give and to take from others. And that requires living in community with other people. And for that, I want to call your attention to the book of Hebrews. Turn to the book of Hebrews Chapter 10. Hebrews, chapter 10. And take a look at verse 24. The writer of Hebrews says this And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near let's look at a few things first of all verse 24 the word consider uh, that greek word it means to perceive to to remark to observe to consider attentively to fix your eyes upon so i'll give you an example of elsewhere where it's used in scripture It's the same Greek word used in Matthew 7 and verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Not see, but notice. Same Greek word. Give careful attention before you're going about picking out specks from your brother's or your sister's eyes. What about the log in your own eye? Give attention to that. Careful attention, focused attention first. Same Greek word used in Luke 12 and verse 24. Jesus says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Jesus is saying, no, no, really, like, think about these ravens, man. Think about it. Like, consider them. Did you ever, did you ever consider the fact they don't sow, they don't reap, they don't have a storehouse, they don't have a barn, but God provides for every one of their needs. Think about it. Look at them flutter about. Of how much more value are you than the birds? Really consider. Give careful attention. Same thing uh, three verses later. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. No, seriously. Just pause for a minute and give some careful consideration. Consider the ravens. Consider the lilies. Consider the log in your own eye. That is how we are to consider one another. Attentively. Not just a glance, not just a, hey, how you doing? But attentively fix our eyes or mind upon. That's a lot of intentionality. It doesn't just happen. It's intentional. It doesn't happen. you like, yeah, I saw the back of her head in church the other day. I think she's all right. Back of her head looked good. Look at the text again. Let us consider one another... Why? In order to stir up love and good works. That word translated to stir up, only used twice in the New Testament, here and in Acts 15. It means to to incite, even to irritate, to stimulate. It's only used here and in Acts 15, talking about a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas regarding John Mark. Again, love and good works don't just happen. The Bible says it takes intentional consideration and a stirring from one to another. And if the bulk of your Christian walk is spent sitting alone, just you and your Bible, or just you and your favorite preacher, or just you and your favorite podcast or sermon, you're neither going to be stirred, nor are you going to stir anyone else as we're told to do so in Hebrews chapter 10. Except stirred by the word of God all the time. What are you talking about? That's fine. This is a different stirring. This is a stirring that happens between human beings, between people, that they would consider one another, love one another, and stir one another on toward love and good deeds. That's why God doesn't only want us sitting in rows together, but also in circles. It facilitates an opportunity for this intentional consideration of one another, for mutual edification, for stirring up in a way That I can't do nearly as effectively sitting in a room staring at the back of someone's head, but I have a better opportunity to do so in a community group setting. I can consider them and they me. I can stir them and they can stir me. Can't God do that without people? Listen, God can do whatever He wants. And according to the Bible, he wants us to consider one another and stir one another and not forsake the assembling of ourselves together because we need this consideration and stirring and encouragement. And look at how verse 25 ends. All the more as you see the day drawing near. Even in the perfect, sinless Genesis 1 and 2 Garden of Eden, God didn't create us for solitude. That means even under the best of circumstances, you walking through life alone with God is not what he intended. But the writer of Hebrews goes an, a, a, an extra step. He doesn't just say, stir up love, stir up good works, exhort one another. But then he says, and, and so much more, so much the more as you see the day approaching. Especially during difficult times, you need to be as active as you can be in the body of Christ. Especially during difficult times, you need to be as active as you can be in the body of Christ. Now, I don't know if you realize, but we're in a unique time in life right now. That actually sounded stupid as I said it. I didn't mean for that to be funny. (laughs) Literally, it's right here. It says we're in a unique time in life right now. You think? Half of our church worships in person, and we now have half of our church as part of our online church family, a branch in our family tree that didn't exist a year ago but does exist now. If our online church family were a campus, it would be the largest campus we have. Half of our church family has absented themselves from the rest of the body for the time being. Now, you who are part of our online church family, I want you to know and hopefully you've sensed that the elders love you very much, that we care about you, that we pray for you, that we want to serve you as best we can. You're, you're not second-class members of our church family. You're not, we, we don't think about the, the people that we have in person. We're like, and then there's those other people watching us on that their screen. That's not how we talk. That's not how we feel. That's not how we think. When we say we are family, we count you no less part of our family than we do those we see on a regular basis. That's why we're continuing to stream our services online each and every sunday we don't have this like secret plan to stop doing that in the near future happy groundhog day Poof, we're gone no we don't have there's not something like we're con, you know commiserating and conniving like hey here's what we'll do we don't have a plan to stop that in the near future we love you we want you to engage as best you can with us we know there are a variety of reasons that you've chosen not to return to in-person services thus far That's why our director of community groups, David Michael, is reimbursing community group leaders for the monthly cost of their Zoom accounts. Why? Because we want to do our very best to enable people to connect with one another during these times. And if they can't do so in person, we hope they can do so virtually because we firmly believe, because of what the Word of God says, the importance of being in each other's lives, something is better than nothing. But as we kick off 2021 together... I want to ask you to consider something, uh, specifically if you're part of our church family that is joining us virtually now. Sometimes you start doing something for a reason, but if you don't take a moment to reconsider what you're doing, you don't realize that the reason has run its course. And while there's the possibility that there are still extenuating circumstances in your life that warrant why you do what you do, if you don't every once in a while reconsider these things, You'll end up continuing to do things just because. Continuing to do things because now it's normal for you, and that may or may not be good. And so I want to ask you to consider a few things, primarily for those who are joining us online, but not exclusively. I think there's application for all of us in some way, shape, or form. The first thing I want you to consider is this. I think you need to consider whether your conscience convicts you or your preference prevents you. I think you need to consider whether your conscience convicts you or your preference prevents you. Uh, You can keep your finger in Hebrews 10, but if you would flip to Romans chapter 14. Uh, Romans chapter 14. We don't have time to read through the entire chapter. But Romans chapter 14 is... A teaching that Paul is giving to the church at Rome about someone who is convinced in his mind and in his heart that it would be sinful to do something wrong to do something that the Bible does not explicitly say is wrong. But in his mind and in his heart, he so firmly believes that it would be sin if he ate this way That the chapter ends in verse 23 that says, But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And what that means is uh, for you, sir, for you, ma'am, if you truly believe in your heart of hearts, for me to eat this food would be sinful. I don't see it in Scripture. But if you believe that it's sinful, then for you to do it, guess what? It is what? Sinful. Why? Because you just told me to do it. It's sinful. So you would be going against your conscience believing what you're doing is Truly sinful. Some of you have been advised to avoid close contact with people or crowded places for the time being because your current health condition could really take a turn for the worse if you contracted COVID. Others of you are waiting to receive the vaccine, some of you are waiting for other people to receive the vaccine. For these or for other reasons, for you to re-engage with some of your friends, for you to attend our in-person meetings, for you to intend your community group, would be going against what you believe to be right and good. And while there's not a Bible verse that tells you to stay home, you've prayerfully considered your options. You've sought wise counsel and you believe it's right to not re-engage at this time. You, you can't do so in good faith at this time. Your conscience Convicts you to do what you're doing or not doing at this time. This, uh, verse 23, proceeds from faith. And to do otherwise would not proceed from faith, and whatever does not proceed from faith is of sin. You are motivated by faith. That's not the case for everyone, though. Not everybody's motivated by their conscience. Some are motivated by their preference. Motivated by preference, you're choosing to absent yourself from your brothers and sisters in Christ, not out of having sought wise counsel, and maybe not even having taken it before the Lord, but quite frankly, out of fear. You don't necessarily have a specific condition or a high-risk condition of some sort, you're not predisposed to anything specific as, as others are, deep down in your heart, when you really think about it, you're just very, very afraid. And so at the end of the day, it's, it's not really a conscience-driven thing, but a, a preference-driven thing. You'd prefer to not have to face your fear By facing others, you know what you've read, you know what you've seen, you perhaps know what you've experienced even in relationships that are close to you. You'd prefer to not have to face your fear by facing others. And so I'd put it this way, you're not bound by your conscience so much as you're bound by your preference. Uh, Bound by preference can manifest itself in another way. It, It may not be fear, it may be anger. There are some of you who say, we really miss meeting together, but then when the meeting started happening, you decided it wasn't the way you liked it. There are some who say they really miss their community group, but when the community group offers you another means of connecting with one another, you say, I ain't doing it. Some of you say you miss community group, but when your group restarted and the the leaders prayerfully considered, what do we think would be best given the population of our group? They said, hey, we're going to meet this way for the time being. And that might be virtual or with masks or seated in a certain way. And you said, I ain't doing it. And therefore, while you miss community group and value what you get out of community group and what you give in community group by being in each other's lives, when it came back, you said, well, it didn't come back the way I wanted to, so I'm out. I ain't doing it. And if that's you, I have to say this. Please don't give yourself the luxury of saying that's a matter of conscience. A word I'm concerned is becoming the catch-all for I do what I want, when I want, how I want. And if I can't, I'm taking my pail, my shovel, and leaving the sandbox altogether, and I'll probably kick some sand. You might say it's a matter of conscience, and it may be or it may have been at one time. But there's also the possibility that what you're calling a matter of conscience is really a matter of preference. If that's the case for you, if there's a means for you to participate with other believers, if there's a means for you to be in each other's lives but it doesn't look the way you want it to look, you have a choice to make. You can say, I want what I want the way that I want it. Or you can say, what I need from other people and need to give to other people, according to the word of God, is more important than what I want and how I want it. So I'm going to participate in other people's lives in ways I don't love because I do love the people. The stirring, the encouraging, the means of fellowship more than I love my preference. I hate looking at people's faces through a screen, but I really like looking at people's faces. I don't want to wear a mask, but it will work if I wear a mask. I can go to my community group. I can participate in this form of fellowship, whatever it is. You shouldn't act against your conscience. Romans 14, 23 is clear. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. You shouldn't do something you can't do with a clear conscience before God and men. However... It's good to take your conscientious convictions before the Lord every once in a while and ask him to show you if your conscience is bound by him or if your preference is bound by you. You need to consider whether your conscience convicts you or your preference prevents you. Something else I think it's good to consider is this. You need to know the difference between absence and abdication. Absence and abdication. I've said it enough already, but I'll say it again. I think God from the very beginning has created people to be around people. Like I said, even his very presence with Adam in the garden pre-fall wasn't exactly completely what he had in mind. I think God places a responsibility on believers to be in each other's lives for fellowship where we can consider one another, stir one another to love and good deeds and encourage one another. There may be times when we're unable to do that, where we have we have to absent ourselves from one another for one reason or another. Absenting yourself isn't necessarily a sin. This is like the catch-all verse, the Hebrews 24. Well, it shouldn't forsake the assembling of the brethren. I remember back when I was in, uh, I mean, many, many years ago, I wanted to miss Sunday night church. Perish the thought. I wanted to miss Sunday night church because there was a family gathering. What, what did one of my friends say? Well, you yeah, shouldn't forsake the assembling of the brethren. And I was like, I think I've had enough of you considering me and stirring me, and it's not stirring me to anything good and lovely. In fact, it's stirring me to want to smack you. <laughs> like, what is this? Any time I call a meeting and there involves Christians, boom, you have to show up. That's what that verse means? No. Sometimes we have to absent ourselves from the people of God. It makes sense. Absenting yourself isn't necessarily a sin. You're, you're sick. You're on vacation. You're unavailable. Or maybe you could do it, but you're just tired. You think, I just got to get to bed earlier tonight, so I'm not going to community group this week. That's fine. That's life. It happens. No judgment. Sometimes you need to absent yourselves from others, even the body of Christ. But if it's for an extended period of time, for whatever reason, here's what I'm encouraging you to do. You need to ensure that your absence from people's lives doesn't lead to an abdication of your responsibility as a Christian. Because I think you have a responsibility to be in people's lives in some way, shape, or form, in person, virtually, but to be in people's lives so that you might encourage them and they might encourage you, especially as we see the day drawing near. To absent yourself, it just means you're keeping yourself away. To abdicate means you've cast off or discarded a responsibility. In Hebrews 10 and verse 25, the term translated not together, not neglecting, like not neglecting to meet together. That doesn't mean just not being there, doesn't mean don't ever miss a time to meet with Christians. It refers to totally abandoning and leaving behind something in a helpless situation. Do you know who used that same Greek word? King Jesus on the cross when he said, My God, why have you forsaken me? When he felt on that cross that he was neglected by his heavenly father for the first time in his earthly life. It refers to a total abandoning of a situation, leaving behind something in a hopeless situation. To absent yourself from the people of God isn't necessarily a sin. However, if you've abdicated your responsibility to consider, to stir up, to exhort other Christians, you need to repent. You need to realize that your inability to gather does not negate your responsibility To one another. It means that if you have an inability to gather and fulfill that responsibility as you normally would, that you should think of another way to do that. Could be virtual. Could be that you reach out over the phone. Or it could be that the reason that you haven't been gathering has now expired. I I don't know. That's different for each and every person. But the responsibility remains the same. We who are in person need to realize our inability to gather with the people we usually gather with doesn't negate our responsibility to them. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says not to neglect this ever, but all the more as we see the day approaching. And that was said back when Hebrews was written. uh, We are closer to that day now. That's not theological depth, that's logic. As the times get darker, we need each other more. As circumstances grow all the more uncertain, we need each other not less, but more. As times change, make sure your encouragement, your stirring of one another doesn't stop, and in fact, it should likely increase. I know we're in a time when more than ever, people are providentially hindered from doing what they normally do. Circumstances outside their control are what have hindered us from doing what we'd otherwise normally do. I know we're in a time when people are conscientiously hindered. I, I truly believe it would be unwise for them to engage with others as they normally would. They've taken it before the Lord, they've sought counsel, and they believe this is what God would have them do. The question you have to ask yourself is this, given the situation I'm in, how can I continue to consider others, to be in a position for others to consider me. How can I stir others and they me? How can I encourage others and they encourage me? Realizing the importance of those things based on not pragmatism, not Grace Fellowship Church, not Peter La Rufa, but the word of God. Consider what preferences you might have that are hindering your ability to enjoy a means of fellowship, whether in person or virtual, so that you might be an active participant in the body of Christ. Prayerfully consider if what you're doing right now is really what you need to keep doing. Or if you've just gotten used to how you've been rolling for so long. It doesn't take long to create a habit. I did not like quarantine. But there are some parts of it that I really liked. Uh, I've I have this job that precludes me from ever sleeping in on a Sunday morning. I didn't hate that. I don't mind saying I feel like I mastered pancakes. I killed it. I can make pancakes better than you. Made it every morning for my kids. Uh, No, not every morning, every Sunday morning for my family. You can get used to that, it's not a sin. But I think it's time to prayerfully consider. I think if you're doing something out of the norm, you need to have some sort of a routine in your life where you prayerfully reconsider, is this what I still need to be doing or if I'm just doing it because I've been doing it for so long? I think you need to have an expiration date or an exit plan in order to keep me from allowing the temporary to become permanent. To keep the abnormal from becoming normal, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing until and there's an event, until something happens, or until, and there's a date. I'm going to reconsider, prayerfully reconsider this every, I don't know, week, three weeks, every month, every other month. I'm going to prayerfully reconsider if this is something I need to keep doing, lest I fall into a rut of just because. And so where do you go from here? Well, if you're not in a community group, here's what you can do. You can log on to graceky.org. You can Find some community groups that fit your schedule and try them out. No two groups are exactly alike. I would encourage you to try more than one, and I would encourage you to try groups for more than one week. Contact the church office if you need help finding one. We have a wide staff that would be helpful to help you navigate our website. We have David Michael, who is director of community groups, who would be happy to help uh, connect you with one. Maybe you're already in a community group. Maybe you need to consider what God might have you do now that can make your community group better than it was before maybe there's an area or a need in which you can serve your community group specifically maybe there's a way you can be all in because you're like I've kind of checked out I kind of show up but I kind of don't and I'm there physically but I'm not really there all the way and maybe you need to just jump in and contact your community group leader and say how can I be more involved or maybe you just need to contact your community group leader and say thanks for serving maybe you need to lead a community group and that's something you need to consider You think, I think the Lord might use me in this way. Because we could always use more. And if you're not joining us in person yet, I think you should prayerfully consider if what you've been doing you really need to keep doing or if you just got used to how you've been rolling. I also want to encourage you to reach out to Josh Snell. I know you've received an email from him this week if you're part of our online church family. He can help you apply... Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, during this time when you're providentially hindered from being around others. There are ways that we can connect you with other people so that you don't have to be alone while you're choosing to be uh, not in person at this time. But please don't walk through this life alone, especially as we see the day approaching. Father in heaven, we are grateful for the many means of grace that you have for us. Uh, Your word, your grace, your mercy, chiefly as it's shown to us on the cross, but also one another. And we pray, Lord, that we would never, ever, ever think that there's a situation in our life when we don't need those desperately. But that our conviction, knowing that we need your word, that we need the people of God in our lives, that our conviction would drive us to always find a way to consider one another, to stir up one another, to encourage one another, and to meet with people. So, Lord, we pray for our entire church family, but especially for those who can't be with us at this time. I pray, Lord, that your uh, presence would, would be tangibly felt by them, especially for those who are alone. I pray that your mercy and grace would pour out upon their lives. And I pray, oh God, would you connect them, yes, with you, but also with your people. Would you use other members of our church body to connect with them? But overall, at Grace Fellowship Church, would you help us to remember the importance of considering one another, not neglecting being together, especially as days draw darker. Because we know, Lord, that as the darkness increases, your light shines all the brighter, but we need each other to remind us of that. Do this, we pray, for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen.